0: Welcome to the Public Sphere Salon with Bess Benkherder and Rahil kursheed
1: Welcome, everybody, to our first installment of the Public Sphere Salons at Yale. Today, we're going to be discussing uh, what is happening at Twitter, um, the uh, you know very very rapid developments, and the broader question of what these developments mean for Twitter as a global town square after Elon Musk has bought it. Um, Rahil, I'm so happy that you are hosting this um, session and future public sphere salons with me. let us get started, maybe by catching up people on what's been going on. A uh, lot of a lot of uh, developments at Twitter just this week, including especially the last twenty four hours. So, Rahil, why don't you catch us up with what's going on before we then kind of move to, you know, the question of of exactly. In what ways is Twitter a town square? What are some of those characteristics? What is its political and cultural significance? And, and what is at stake now with more recent changes that we're seeing at Twitter? And then maybe we'll move on to, to audience questions towards the end. Does that sound good to you?
0: Perfect. If for some reason you have not been clued, clued into what is basically a train wreck the last like two weeks or so, the first two weeks of Elon Musk's ownership of the platform, not to speak of the six months prior that, where there was a lot of back and forth as to whether the deal will go through or not go through. Uh, he proposed an acquisition to try to fend it off, uh, but then the share price was such that the board had to you know, accept it. And then he tried to walk away from it. It resulted in a in a courtroom battle that then led forced his hand uh and led the company changing ownership just about two weeks ago. Uh and the two weeks, it turns out he didn't really he had a lot of ideas, but didn't really have a plan as to how to execute them. And it's very, very evident from the first two weeks that it's a dumpster fire of pretty epic proportions. He's bought in uh, people who are not familiar with the culture of the company, who are also not familiar with uh, the modalities uh, of of how the product works in the real world, uh, to make changes that are clearly very ill-thought-out. The verification changes is a good example, right? Like, uh, of all the big platforms, Twitter's verification process has been quite messy, but you know, it was it was getting better, uh, and yeah. it, and it it used to be an indicator of this, whosoever had a blue check, that this is the person who they claim to be, and you know, unfortunately, it also came to signify uh, social standing. So Elon Musk, in order to maximize revenue, basically uh, said that I'm going to democratize this process and it's not it's been a week of that and it's it's i can't even tell you how terrible the rollout has been um but but over and about that like 50% of the staff more than 50% actually uh, was forced to leave the company usually when is in when there's a, when there's a round of layoffs this large uh, about Half of the percentage that's laid off follows out in attrition. So you're basically looking at a situation where 75% of Twitter stuff, and more importantly, uh folks in core leadership positions, right? Like folks who built Twitter up to this point to be the product that it is. Uh, Twitter's head of public policy, trust and safety, uh, that they're all gone. Folks who led really crucial relationships. Across verticals, they're all gone. And we're we're now hearing stories that a bunch of these folks are being asked to come back is, is how badly the layoffs were executed. <laughs> um, New York Times just today morning dropped a piece about the first two weeks uh of Musk's ownership at the platform, and it is utter and complete chaos. The picture that it posts. Uh, and we knew that from folks who are still at the company. Just how things are unfolding, but to see it in in black and white is, and read it in in fairly grim detail is, is quite something.
1: And that story, I think they interviewed thirty six uh, current and former staff. It's, it's an incredible story. I read it this morning, and it just gives a great insight into the utter utter chaos that's reigning at Twitter. I I couldn't help but wonder whether this is. I mean, clearly this man has built companies that are you know, very innovative and that have made a big contribution. If you think about Tesla, it's really revolutionized the entire sector of electronic vehicles. Um, the space rockets are, are kind of interesting and cool, right? So clearly, whatever acumen he had, to, to build his other businesses he's he's definitely not bringing that into Twitter and it strikes me as uh, is this amateurism what do you think like what what's what's going on like
0: yeah I think what it is is basically bringing the mindset of building hardware companies into what is a free speech company and it doesn't translate like it's one thing to build cars and build rockets it's quite another thing to be the custodian of a public platform that has 250 odd million users on it on a daily basis, and that serves as, a, as the nerve center of the global news moment, right? Uh, and I don't think he kind of like understood what it what it means to, to make a platform of Twitter scale, scope, uh, and nuance work. There's, there's no yeah. when it comes to, you know, it's black and white solutions, right? Like when it comes to cars and when it comes to rockets, they either work or they don't work. In context of Twitter, a lot of stuff that didn't seem to work was actually working, content moderation, right? And right. Right. he came in with this incredibly simplistic understanding of free speech and a and near sort of like absolute position around what, what should be free speech and what shouldn't be free speech. Uh, and what should be allowed on the platform and what shouldn't be allowed on the platform and has since faced an advertiser exodus because guess what? No one wants to see their brand next to terrible things being said on the platform. And that's the yeah. that Twitter had gotten itself into in the last like 12, 14 odd years by working very, very carefully through these problems. Its solutions were not perfect, of course. We've all faced, yeah. you know, We've all been in a position where we've complained about direct and total abuse on the platform only to hear back that, yeah, this doesn't violate the rules. But his positioning on free speech turns out is, is not feasible at all.
1: Yeah, I think we, we should probably zoom in on 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 two of the things you mentioned. One is verification. I think that's a really important uh, question to look at more closely. And the other is a broader point, which I think, you know, I, I often read, you know, people talking about how Twitter has X number of users and then sort of compare that to Twitter. How many hundreds of millions of people are on, on Twitter? Is it like four or five hundred million, something like that?
0: It is about two hundred. Uh, so that's the other thing, right? Like technology companies pick and choose metrics that that work for them. So it went from uh, what was called an MAU metric, a monthly active user, to a DAU metric over the course of the last few years. So as things stand, Twitter's current DAUs are about two hundred twenty to one between two hundred twenty to twenty five.
1: So you compare that to Facebook, which has over two, maybe three billion, I'm not keeping track of the numbers. And you'd be forgiven for thinking that this is, you know, much less significant than if something like that were to happen um, on Facebook. But here's the the thing that makes Twitter so significant, all of the world leaders are on this platform, and they use it actively. Virtually any journalist you can think of is on this platform. All of the news that we are discussing in this um, conversation and that we are seeing in the in the in the media actually originated on Twitter on this story, right? Because that's where Elon Musk is communicating. So all that is to say, Twitter has an outsized significance because of the people who are there, because of the brands that are there, because of the government institutions that communicate through that. And from there, trickles uh, all that trickles down to the news agenda. Journalists go there in the morning to make up their minds about what to write about. So Twitter has a unique position in the landscape of, of social media companies. And that's why um, this moment is so, so... Uh, perilous potentially, for uh, the what used to be a very flawed, but still uh, the the closest thing we had to a town square.
0: Oh, absolutely! Uh, again, you know the the comparison between Facebook and Twitter has has been around for a while. Like it's a, it's the same mistake that the Twitter founders made when they went into an IPO, thinking they're going to be the next Facebook. In fact, phrasing the company's foray into ad products as being very similar to how Facebook had engineered their foray into ad products. And turns out Twitter is not at all like Facebook. It's a a bit of an apples and oranges comparison, right? And Twitter has been hurt by that comparison over the course of the last decade or so. Uh, It is exactly what you say it is. It is a town square where all conversation... Is accessible to everyone, and you could, you know, you could join a conversation, you could consume information, you could fundamentally hear from people who are making news and then driving the news agenda, and those people who are writing these news st- news new stories, you could uh, interact with them directly. No other platform. Allows for that, and I don't think there is a you know there's a there's an exodus of people to Mastodon and and a couple of other entities, but I don't think those those platforms allow what Twitter allows for at scale. So in that, uh, and not to talk about you know activists and marginalized communities using it all over the world uh, to stake their like in in the public sphere. And, and a bunch of that that stuff has been gutted as well. You know, teams that 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 promoted those conversations, which are not necessarily profit-oriented cost centers, uh, the non-money-making parts of the platform, those have been let go of as well. So, all in, we're basically staring at a situation where this man has overpaid for a, for the product, and ballooned the debt of the company from fifty million dollars a year to about a billion, billion and a half dollars in interest payments a year. Uh, and he's looking everywhere for quick ways of monetization. And that is usually a recipe for, for disaster for products like these, which has so, monetizable parts so, and then non-monetizable parts.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, one of the first ideas he turns to is, is that of making people pay for verification which as you hinted earlier seems to fundamentally turn on its head the very purpose of verification. So let's, you know, it, it used to be that verification indicated that the account is not only authentic, but also notable. That um, this is how you know that the White House account is the White House account. This is how you know that Narendra Modi's account and Olaf Scholz's account and Emmanuel Macron's account is their actual account. Now, as of Wednesday, you can pay for verification. It costs $8 a month. And there's this whole populist narrative that um you know, in, in some ways very Trumpy, you know, that Elon Musk is, is spreading through his account and saying he's he's ending the, this old system of lords and peasants and democratizing verification and now you can just pay $8. But actually what it now means is you just have $8. It, it no longer means that you're authentic because you actually don't need to prove that you are the person who owns that account. And guess what? In the last 48 hours, we're seeing crazy, crazy stuff like... Um, you know, people impersonating Tesla because what you can Tesla and, and world leaders and and all of that, which which is kind of to be expected. I'm sure you saw that, right? Because now all you need to do is pay pay eight dollars. You have you have the blue check mark. You can take the profile picture of the original account, and change the display name. Right? It looks very much like the real thing, and now the, okay, what we're seeing in the last. 36 hours is stuff going viral about Teslas hitting the World Trade Center. I'm sure you saw that and and uh really, really crazy stuff. It seems so amateurish, doesn't it?
0: It does it does seem amateurish, but, but at the same time, really, really effectively, you know, pointing to the flaws in the rollout of the new system. Uh there is a there is merit to Twitter exploring a subscription only product, right? Like sure there is a conversation to be had about what that subscription-only product could be. Twitter's equivalent in China, for example, Weibo, has seven layers of subscription products. You could go uh, the base layer and then all the way up to the seventh layer and be paying like $100 a month, for example. Uh, and Twitter is like free to explore the possibility of rolling that product out in, in a form and way where it makes sense to its users. Uh, going after the blue check mark is, is as I said, like it's sort of like reaching out for, so to speak, the f- the first thing that he went after when he when he came in, uh, low hanging fruit, uh, but didn't realize that it was actually, however, imperf- imperfect. The blue check check actually meant something, right? Like, uh, because Twitter had spent the last like decade and a half telling people that if an account possesses a blue check mark, it means that this account is verified, this this account is of the person that that they're claiming or or the entity that they're claiming to be, uh, and that they are a notable person slash entity. Now, what the change has basically uh, unleashed is an undoing of that modality Right? Uh, it's what you said, like now anyone with $8 fundamental, like the blue check mark means that this person has paid $8. Like they're a subscriber to the Twitter blue uh, product. Uh, what that does is a few things. One is that there is this incredible sort of uh, fear that some bad, bad actors are gonna, gonna exploit this feature uh, to do bad, bad things at scale. But what's most likely to happen is that a whole host of medium to small level bad actors are going to unleash a whole host of medium to small level uh, chaos. So you will see a lot of sort of people getting hurt. You'll see a lot of brands getting hurt. It's not going to be like, you know, a fake White House account or a fake Putin account, for example, going at going at each other. What it is, is just like this, this Tesla stuff. Right. And like a whole host of folks like you and me, uh, folks who are not on the platform, for example, like a whole host of lawmakers are not on the platform. So someone could potentially just sign up uh, and start an account and basically start tweeting policy positions on things, you know, uh from whatever country and be, like create chaos that that could lead to whatever it, that that it could lead to, right? Uh To think that this was, and then, you know, you saw the actual rollout itself, like for a day or so, Twitter realized that this was not going to go, this is not going the way that it is going. So then it started to roll out official tags uh, for a whole host of like previously verified accounts. Now there is conversation and you could go into, you know, you could go into uh, individual profiles, tap on the verified button and it could, it would tell you whether this person is verified for $8 or because it's it's legacy verified. And that's also like been rolled back almost immediately, Uh, not to speak of it being an incredibly poor design choice, Uh, but it is overall indicative of how poorly Elon Musk and his people uh, understand what Twitter does what it is, uh, the features it has, and how its core users use the platform, which is kind of shocking because he's a power user himself. Uh, yeah. But to not understand the point of why Twitter was, you know, doing some things that it was doing, however imperfect they might have been, to immediately undo all of the work done by previous teams is, is completely insane to me.
1: Yeah, and I think the impersonation question um, is, is actually, you know, the, the more I think about it, the more I realize this is, this is potentially really serious, including when it comes to national security implications. I mean, I was just seeing Lockheed Martin again, like this is, this is so well done with the blue check mark, their original logo. You have to kind of look, like look closely to see that it says Lockheed Martin with an I at the end, so Lockheed, Lockheed Martini, but you don't see that. And so there's a tweet that says, we will be begin halting all weapons sales to Saudi Arabia, Israel, and the United States until further in- investigation into their record of human rights abuses. Uh, this goes completely viral, but I think what it, what it does, more importantly, it, it, is it opens up the imagination to... A serious crisis that this this current chaos could lead to, I mean, the temptation is there. The team is utterly diminished uh, so they don't actually have uh, the the human resources to respond to 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 crises um and I think this could end really, really badly in the next few days.
0: I mean, yeah, absolutely look it's it's utterly and completely shocking to me that Twitter's allowing entities to basically sign up and start accounts for existing verified accounts, right? Like you would think that before the system is rolled out, someone is going to basically sit down because they do have a directory of about 400,000 odd, whatever the number of people that are verified on the platform. It is not very hard if this was rolled out thoughtfully. It is technically not impossible to not let people start accounts for entities that are already verified on the platform. Right? Uh, And here we are looking at a situation where, you know, over the course of the last, like, four or five days, we've seen like Dave Chappelle, we've seen George Bush, we've seen Tony Blair, we've seen Lockheed Martin, we've seen Tesla, we've seen Nestle, we've seen a whole host
1: of Nintendo. Other,
0: other Nintendo, other entities that are already on the platform with verified accounts, having alternate verified accounts pop up. And fundamentally, most of it up to this point has just proved the point that this is a flawed process. It hasn't, like, you know, unleashed a lot of damage, so to speak, in IRL. Uh, but you're right, like, it could potentially lead to, if the system is not halted, which my sense is that it's going to be, you know, Roll back very very soon, paused at least, yeah. till the kinks are worked out and then rolled out again. Uh, because the Twitter Blue product has been around for a year, year and a half. There's like about hundred thousand users on it that had that subscription. Uh, it does a few things that are that are kind of cool, you know. As I said, hundred thousand people were paying like uh, about five dollars a month for it. Uh, so it was like a, it was a it was a source of revenue for not substantive revenue but a source of revenue for Twitter nevertheless. And there's conversation now of including, uh, you know, of working with publishers, which it already did, right? Like it it worked with a whole host of publishers. So your Twitter Twitter blue subscription got you through the paywall for these publishers that they worked with. So there is a product play here where your Twitter Blue subscription can get you access to say 10 or 12 or 20 like news outlets that are behind a paywall. Then it makes imminent sense to buy it, right? Like if it gets you a New York Times, a New Yorker, an economist, a Financial Times and what have you subscriptions uh, and gets you access to their content for $8 a month. Sure, like why not? Amongst other features. Uh, but to roll it out with keeping the verification the blue check adds as its center point and then to roll it out so thoughtlessly uh has just been so so horrible to watch because it it has undone a lot of the work that Twitter did in in really really complex areas uh as I said of establishing modalities as to as to, as to verifying people and as to making sure that, you know, it takes years to build trust and it literally takes a week or so for that trust to completely go down the drain. You are going to, if this madness isn't stopped, you are going to get to a point where people are going to stop uh, or people are not going to have the ability to differentiate between what is a verified account and what is not a verified account. And twitter's usp is going to go down the drain because we go to the platform to hear from brands people entities directly if there's no way for you to tell which of these entities is real you're not going to go to it right mm. so ironically the his his rush to make money is actually going to cost him money it's going to cost him users it's going to cost him the very thing twitter has built like over the last a uh, decade, decade and a half, trust, and that's something that's as I, I can't like as I said like it's I spent five years at the company. I've been a user of the product for close to like twelve odd years, and and very very passionate user. Uh, watching it all go to a waste is like really painful to watch. Like it's and yeah. there's a bunch of us that have that have done that have spent time at the company. We're all kind of like just watching an abject horror,
1: mm. and it's not like there is a good alternative that people could just go to. Um...
0: It costs a lot of money to maintain a system uh, of the scale
1: of the scope. You know,
0: it's one of the one of the one of the moats that these companies have is just the cost of infrastructure. And mind you, like Twitter was not doing badly. As a company. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was doing badly relative to Facebook, relative to Google, relative to Apple, and other sort of like Silicon Valley entities. Uh, but it was it was pulling in about five to seven billion dollars a year, which is not, a, not an insubstantive amount of money. So if it wasn't for this insane greed, growth had mm-hmm. no costs, costs sort of like uh, mentality of Silicon Valley. It could have been uh, an incredibly sustainable product. It would not have been as profitable as you know the VC and PE overlords wanted to be, but it could have served
1: mm.
0: a really, really good function of being a moderately successful company, doing very well at what it does, which is being the world's public town square. My hope from all of this uh, disaster is that he gets tired of it very soon, takes a huge hit, uh, and basically sells it to someone who recasts Twitter as a public utility because that's exactly what it needs to mm. be. It needs to be a public utility. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be a for-profit yeah. company. It needs to just it needs yeah. to just make enough money to keep the servers going, to make sure the conversation on it is stable, to make sure that it does what it does best. But it doesn't need to be a Facebook. It doesn't need to be a Google. Right. Like, it can just be Twitter and be a fairly successful, good at what it does company. There's a whole host of those entities globally. And this is this is quite honestly, this is on Twitter's previous founders uh, who led Twitter down this road uh, where someone like someone like an Elon Musk. Uh, thought this was a this was a it was a great idea for him to him to buy it right like and Twitter suffered from like years and years and years of dysfunction as a company as an org. Uh, while I was there, like I basically the four and a half five years of which for a year almost I was on a sabbatical. Like my org changed bosses like I think eight times. Four of those changes were in just like one quarter or two quarters. So it's always been an incredibly chaotic company uh, from the inside, but from the outside, it was making incremental changes towards getting getting to a point of stability, rolling out new products very, very slowly, but still doing a fairly decent job at, you know, like, I don't remember the last time the site was down. That's That's a big achievement. Uh, yeah, going, from, going from going from the early days of Twitter when like the fail whale was a cultural you know icon like people had fail whale t-shirts because the app would go down and that I don't know like how many of us have been on the platform for that long but I remember those days distinctly uh, and here we are in a position now where yesterday Elon Musk has told Twitter staff that oh you know like we are staring at bankruptcy well of course we are staring at bankruptcy you offloaded. A million and a, a billion and a half dollars of like interest on debt onto the balance sheet of a company that had like fifty million dollars of debt on it.
1: So let's um maybe zoom in on this idea of uh, what this public town square um, should look like and what the institutional setup uh, would have to be to protect these characteristics of the town square, because it seems to me like this is the worst case um, scenario right now that Twitter could possibly be in, being owned by a single erratic person with deep, deep business ties to autocratic leaders. And in fact, Saudi Arabia is now the second biggest owner of Twitter. Uh, Elon Musk, a lot of his net worth is tied up with his relationship to the regime in China. and it seems like this is headed toward a very potentially very explosive situation in the future where um the fact that it's that that this important communications infrastructure is owned by a single person exposes a lot of us to significant risk and um and you mentioned something really interesting Rahil you said you know this. This really should be a public utility, and I and, and I agree with you. Um, now, should it be a foundation? Should j- should there just be? Should this be a nonprofit? How how could that be structured? Is it a Web three potential future where it's more decentralized and there isn't actually a single entity that controls the thing? Like, what could this look like? And I also want to I also want to hear from you about. You know, how do you see Mastodon? People a lot of people are talking about Mastodon. I personally think the, the the key problem here is people have built audiences on Twitter. They've taken many, many years to build, you know, their following. So it's not it's not as simple as going to Mastodon because you're starting from zero. That strikes me as the key problem because you built this social capital in the form of a following.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, two parts, right? Like the first is as to what the what the future of Twitter could look like. In the context of Elon Musk failing. Uh, and basically, or and or just getting bored. Uh, because at, unfortunately, at the sort of like level at which he operates and his friends operate in terms of access to capital, the uh, numbers don't seem to me mean anything. Uh, on the finance side of things, if you if you if you sort of like follow the markets, the debt. Uh, yesterday Bloomberg reported was selling like 60 cents to a dollar. So already the company is at about like 12 billion odd uh, valuation, right? So you could fundamentally see a change in ownership uh, via that route too. If the banks that have lent money to Elon Musk, uh, if he's unable to satisfy the conditions of the loans and so on and so forth. Um, So what could potentially happen then is a fire sale that would have to go into new ownership. Uh, And one is really hoping that whosoever that is uh, rethinks of this as uh, a non-for-profit play. And it's not like that's an unusual... um, that's an unusual pivot. The company I used to work at prior to Twitter, change.org, made the same transition. It went from being a for-profit company to being a non-profit company. Uh, and has, you know, has gotten- And
1: Signal is was, a non-profit.
0: Yeah, Signal is a non-profit another. Uh So one really hopes that, you know, uh, out of this entire sort of moment of chaos, uh, emerges an an alternate model that, that anchors Twitter Anchor. uh, in its correct place, uh, as as the global town square with its business model sort of not in at odds with that mission. Uh, I'm not sure whether that will happen or what what that structuring restructuring could look like uh in context to your web three web three uh point i think jack dorsey is is building an entity called blue sky uh that takes everything that's 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 been good for twitter and is building it on the protocols of web3 uh so that's going to be potentially a play that he wants to make that moves uh, that platform, not Twitter, the blue Sky platform that he's building towards a de- decentralized future. I'm not, I'm sure, not sure what that what looks, looks like. like feels like uh, there's a waiting list for that app as we speak. But yeah, on the question of like building audiences, it takes years and years and years to build a substantive audience on the platform. And to get to a point where you have to rebuild it on other platforms, it's it can be very, very daunting. Rahil, there's a question in the chat from Caroline. And she wants to ask you if you've been back to Twitter. And if so, would you entertain the notion of going back and trying to rectify the whole situation? <laughs> uh no, I quit five years ago. At that point in time, I uh, I uh I thought I'd like I'd done what I needed to do at the company. I'm not sure what going back in the current context even looks like. And Quite honestly, I think uh, working for Elon Musk is not on my on my priority list. If there is a if there's a there's a transition that sort of like leads Twitter going the way of a nonprofit, super happy to work with whosoever that whosoever that person is that makes this transition possible. But I'm I'm very happy doing what I'm doing currently. Uh yeah, I like I don't think I I wanna like walk into The current current sort of like you know office or the current desolation that is the Twitter office, uh, wherever that that office might be. You're absolutely right in terms of like having to build audiences from scratch. It's a it's a big big investment. Like all of us who spent years and years and years getting to a point on on these platforms where we now have friends and compatriots and like we have folks that we have met through these platforms like a bunch of my friends in real life uh are people that i met like over the course of the last 10 years on the platform more more so towards the early days of it than towards the later part of it don't i don't quite honestly i don't see the see the transition happen that smoothly while i think everyone should build or like decentralize their own sort of like brand and their own sort of audiences across across platforms and there is a whole host of sort of like apps that let you do that now right like there's an app that lets you post to twitter and mastodon uh but i'm not even sure as i said like i'm not even sure like mastodon can handle like 200 million people using it on a daily basis unless someone comes in with a with a capital infusion and allows it to build servers and allows it to build features and allows it to hire people one of the one of the one of the upsides of the current moment in tech would is that uh, there's a lot of talent around and a bunch of talent from twitter itself that could potentially make that situation feasible but we don't know if if it'll actually
1: work out let's um go to audience questions let's open this up let's maybe talk about one aspect uh raheel that i've been thinking about and that is what we're seeing at Twitter um, seems to be influenced by political dynamics in the United States as well. And Elon Musk sort of, you know, it seems like his political views have evolved and uh, changed pretty dramatically in the last few years. He's surrounding himself with um, sort of reactionary Populists, uh, Silicon Val- Valley libertarians. There's this whole crowd around Peter Thiel and others um, that has a political project attached to their um, to their entrepreneurship, and their and, and these are people who've made a lot of money, even in in, in the first uh, boom in the late 90s and early 2000s around PayPal and so on. Now they're very actively involved in U.S. politics, and it seems that uh, Elon Musk has adopted a lot of their messaging and a lot of their their worldviews. This is um, something uh, that strikes me as as important. What What are your thoughts?
0: I totally agree with you, uh, and you know, it's interesting you bring up Peter Thiel because one of the thoughts uh, that I've seen as as floating around is Peter Thiel's cutting of Cocker. Uh, And this moment reminding everyone of, of that, that at the core of it, uh, Elon and his friends didn't like a website and spent $41 billion destroying it. Uh, Which as I said earlier, like money kind of like scale doesn't mean anything to anyone. It's just like, you know, papers changing hands. His politics as I like, again, like it's, Time and again, there is this incredible sort of like you know, and this this can only be enabled by a platform like Twitter, right? Like it's it's in a way like exposed him, uh, and exposed his thinking, and exposed how he works, and exposed his execution, uh, and his simplistic ideas around politics and speech. It's not at all surprising that someone who is basically surrounded himself in in what seems to be a complete and total sort of like cocoon uh, where no feedback can go in. Uh, Mm. I saw this thread from Chris Saka, one of the early investors at Twitter who now works on climate change. He basically stuck his neck out very rare for like a value billionaire and said, I see what's happening here. He surrounded himself in an echo chamber and no one is giving him feedback. Mm. But I really do hope that he can he can break out of it because he's kind of like at the core of it he's a smart guy. Uh, But his politics his politics can be what 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 it is right like he made an open call for everyone voting Republican in the midterms, you know, or balance of power. Uh, But as long as that doesn't and he's like you know on in the Twitter Twitter spaces session that he held to show advertisers the other day. He said that there's my own entity and then there's there's Twitter and the two of them should not be mixed in. But what you're fundamentally seeing is a lot of stuff that like take the, you know, take his own journey around like comedy being legal on Twitter. And the moment people started impersonating him, certainly it was not legal, right? Mm. So as is the case with a lot of these libertarians they like free speech only as they are hearing things that they like hearing.
1: All right. And let's remind people about Gawker. Um, this was the case of Peter Thiel. So Gawker, the media published, uh, I think something about Peter Thiel being gay, which he is, and he then sued them basically into bankruptcy, right? And so are you saying that well, where where's the parallel now with Twitter? Are you saying that? I mean, it seems that they're they're running it into the ground. But are you saying that this is a repeat of that kind of situation?
0: It seems like that. It seems like a bunch of people who saw Twitter. Uh, as you know, deplatforming conservatives and as deplatforming the far right, like the the Donald Trump deplatforming. Don't don't forget that Twitter was the first platform to take him off on January sixth. Uh, was a fairly critical moment in in the far right's and the Republican perception. Unfortunately, at this point in time, and as U.S. politics stand, the the two are the same. Uh, off like what Twitter is uh the funny thing is that Twitter has actually been fairly easy as far as its enforcement of its policies uh goes when it comes to the far right it's one of the criticisms that it, it's faced over time from from those of the on the on the left and the center that it is actually in India for example like it's cozied up to well complicated position but more or less it's kind of like, done what, what the Modi government, for example, has asked it to do in contexts of under the national security blanket, for example, like nothing on the platform from Kashmir, for example, is allowed. Folks get like platforms left, right, and center. Or the human rights team that just got disbanded was very active when it came to Ukraine, but other conflict hotspots like Palestine, for example, not a peak so twitter in that sense it's you know it's interesting that the right thinks that it's a far left platform it's not it's kind of like center centerish if you will more and a bunch of its policies lean more towards globally maybe not in the us towards the right than than to the center so it's really not surprising in a way to see the right here and Elon Musk having imbibed their politics, uh, use this imaginary slide uh, about deplatforming rights opinions as the reason as to why Twitter should be taken over and why free speech should be should be restored. Uh, it also belies, as I said, like an incredibly basic uh, understanding of how speech works uh but I think there's a separate conversation to be had in context to the the imposition of the American modality of free speech on other complicated contexts including yours and mine and the the havoc that that has wracked into those those situations maybe we'll explore that in a in a different public public sphere salon uh but this is a very very uh valid and worrying point that Elon Musk's, politics uh unfortunately is he's he's bought into this whole messaging that the far right is victimized uh and that he he somehow needs to correct that
1: right yeah so i think we're coming to the end raheel is there an area that you'd like to discuss that we maybe haven't uh, covered so far
0: no i think we We've, we've we've done a broad range. if We've had a broad range of conversations. I would I would be very interested in hearing from people as to how they are thinking about this moment, uh, because what we what we are not analyzing is the the impact of this moment uh, on sort of like these different sub communities. Uh, you and I are like, you know, political and news animals and that's sort of like front and center for us. And we can see that unfold in, in ways that are incredibly dramatic and painful, but there's a whole host of like, academia is a big community community on Twitter. Uh, so is like disability rights, LGBTQIA conversations, right? Like, so, so. And I think the fact that like, as I mentioned earlier, that those were like books, or an incredible sort of like community, community on Twitter. Uh and those are sort of like traditionally, those were traditionally seen as like nonprofit making parts of the platform, but parts that the platform needed to support. And all of that is gone. So even if he were to recover, even if Elon Musk were to recover from the current dumpster fire that he's created for himself and for all of us, uh what would like my sense is that his vision of twitter uh will fall very very short of what our expectation of what twitter should be or has been so we are unfortunately entering into an era uh that will forever alter the dynamics of twitter as a as a public speech as a as a public sphere platform as a town square and unfortunately, there's there's not enough sort of like alternatives out there where we can almost like migrate with our audiences and our thoughts and our like complicated, nuanced opinions on on world politics and power uh, that can replicate what Twitter has been trying to build.
1: Yeah, be interesting to maybe dedicate one of these sessions to imagining what a digital town square could look like because I think Twitter has so many of the hallmarks of a public sphere. But uh, but it seems to me a lot of these were kind of created inadvertently. You know, like um, trending topics are kind of like this crowdsourced way of determining what matters. That's a central idea of the public sphere where people come together and discuss what matters. Well, here's a way, you know, at scale, millions of people are kind of engaging on certain topics. And then there's an algorithm that translates that into... Just a simple list of what matters on that day. That's an incredibly powerful idea. But if, but actually, it's so powerful. It was it was the key subject of, of of attacks and attempts to to game that algorithm. Or take the example of um, a follower count, right? It's kind of a proxy for you know the the value of a speaker for a for, for good or for, uh, you know, for better or for worse. That's kind of like what it stands for, like how prominent is a speaker, how influential is a speaker, or you look at it's an individual tweet and it's, you know, made the rounds, thousands of retweets. It kind of says something and it uh, about that opinion and maybe it's, it's salience. But it, again, the devil is in the detail. It's in, in so many ways, it's it's also flawed because this very incentive structure has, has led to a kind of you know, um, a climate in the conversation that's been corrosive for, for healthy conversation.
0: Even a gaming of the conversation, right? Like
1: you,
0: you've seen all of these, like you've seen this heuristic centered around engagement, uh, result in, in genuine conversation being, being gamed trending, for example, like intentionally really cool, amazing, uh, Concept, But over the course of the last few years, like the number of sort of like trends that you just hijacked by brands, hijacked by like really random bad middling to bad actors, they were not giving you a sense of what actually is happening, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And maybe like a, a new town square could do away with this, could do these things better because we now have institutional knowledge of what went wrong with this one. Yeah, uh, and again, like you know, on the con in the context of follower count itself, right? Like there is a couple of platforms. Snap, for example, is totally privacy driven, and uh, you don't have a sense of follower count there. Like this, this modality of like these many followers, uh, while it is a signal of influence, it's also it also leads to people then, as I said, gaming the system, like buying fake followers. Right. So. And it's always a cat and mouse thing because wherever there's a community of people, some people will want to, you know, abuse the system uh for whatever gain that they are focused on. Uh, while others would want things to be fair and square, whatever the definition of fair and square with like usual disclaimer, so to speak. Uh but yeah, again, like as I said, like it it's been imperfect. Uh but there was at least this attempt at trying to rectify things and gradually things were, you know, falling into place for Twitter as a company uh, and enter Elon Musk and his ideas of, you know, uh, absolutist free speech, blue check for everyone, these this, this incredibly half-baked, no nuance product ideas and what you're seeing is a complete and total mess and i'm you know i mean sad as i i am but i'm also just sort of like there's there is a satisfaction to watching him uh and his cult uh be, stand totally and completely exposed and the cult of big capital in the process mm. who the hell pays 41 billion dollars for a business that of the size no one like and the banks that paid for this so it is the blame for uh this going the way it's going to go is spread across a wide variety of factors including twitter's you know former founders uh but that in no means changes the fact that like we are we are at the risk of losing uh what over the last decade, decade and a half has emerged as the core platform where conversation used to live. Uh, but what yeah. you know on that note, like one of the things that all of us should do, given the current uh, state of infrastructure at Twitter and given the current state of security at Twitter, to go into Twitter.com settings and revoke access to all of the apps that we've given access to. Yeah. Uh, because it puts our data like at risk. And I don't think to it at this point in time, if someone were to decide to hack it or uh, exploit the vulnerability that it finds in this moment, I don't think anyone has the resources to counter that.
1: Okay. That's a great piece of advice. Yeah. yeah. Mm.
0: Everyone can just basically do that.
1: Yeah. definitely, definitely feels like an era is is ending. You know, um, but I'll be excited to discuss with you like what what the future might look like, not just for Twitter, but for you know global public conversation and um, and especially uh, digital conversation, digitally enabled conversation.
0: We had we had like you know last spring we had this moment on Clubhouse, uh, which felt like this magical moment of everyone sort of like coming together in the course of the everyone having been locked in for a year or so. And then like everyone being, being able to access conversation once again. Uh, and that kind of like petered off with things opening up. Uh, but I do think that there is something to be said about being able to like, a participate in that moment and be being able to recreate it in the way one it can be recreated yeah. uh, in the, in the in the digital world uh, and that's exactly uh, what the purpose of the public sphere salon is right like exploring this conversation in detail and in depth uh, to not just have conversations that uh, are about things that are topical like the twitter takeover but also things that are that are not topical but but are relevant uh, i.e the, the the health of the public sphere itself and exactly, over, yeah. the next, over the course of the next few conversations, we're going to be exploring this in great detail. So uh, stay tuned.
1: Thank you so much, Raheel. This, been, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you, Emma, Tim, Holly, for making this possible. Um, and thank you, everybody who listened. We look forward to having you with us in the next conversations.
0: The Public Sphere Salon was produced by Ryan McAvoy. It was made possible with the support of the Yale World Fellows Program at the Jackson School of Global Affairs.
1: Our theme music was composed by Ravi Krishnaswamy at Copilot Music. For updates on future episodes, you can follow me on Twitter by searching for Bella Bess. Thank you so much for tuning in.